Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's November, and we're spending Thanksgiving month expressing our deepest gratitude to you, our mysterious listeners. Listeners like our guest today, Brent. Hello, Brent. Hello. Not only does Brent support the podcast at our highest tier, making him a mysterious master of the society... He's also a frequent attendee at our live performances, making him a mysterious master of being awesome. As a reward, we've invited Brent to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. Brent, what are we listening to today? We are going to listen to an episode of Suspense called The Long Wait. One of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows, Suspense premiered on CBS Radio in 1942, featuring an adaptation of The Lodger, directed by the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. Many old-time radio fans consider the final 1962 broadcast of Suspense the official end of the golden age of radio. The Long Wait was written by Fred Freeberger, who went on to have a notable career in television writing scripts for All in the Family, Emergency, Starsky and Hutch, Ironside, and Superboy. He was also a story editor for Hanna-Barbera, overseeing scripts for the new Scooby-Doo movies and Super Friends. In 1955, Freeberger adapted The Long Wait for the television series Alfred Hitchcock Presents, retitling the story Salvage. In addition to his writing career, Freeberger also served as producer on many popular television shows. Beginning in 1960 on the medical drama Ben Casey, followed by a brief stint producing The Wild Wild West, 1968, Freeberger was hired as producer for the third and final season of Star Trek. When Star Trek was canceled, Freeberger produced the final seasons of Space 1999, The Six Million Dollar Man, and the cartoon series Josie and the Pussycats. This unfortunate string of cancellations earned Freeberger the nickname Show Killer. His final producer credit was on the short-lived 1980 series Beyond Westworld, a sequel to the 1973 film. And now, let's listen to Burt Lancaster in The Long Wait, from Suspense, originally broadcast November 24th, 1949. It's late at night and a chill is set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Suspense. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Mr. Burt Lancaster in The Long Wait, a suspense play produced and edited by William Spear. Over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. The horse knows the way to carry the sleigh. Hey, that's not the way hurrah for Thanksgiving Day goes. What do you mean? Why, I wrote it. No matter. The 1950 version is different. Listen. Over the river and through the woods, the snow is soft and white. Grandpa is happy with his jalapy. His spark plugs are autolite. Over the river and through the woods, blow high, ye winds blow low. The car's as snappy as grandma and pappy. Because Autolite resistor spark plugs get it going faster in cold temperatures. Give smooth, even spark all along the line of fire. Let your engine idle smoother, run better on leaner gas mixtures. Save gas. Wait a minute. These last lines don't rhyme. Why, sure they do. Your car and Autolite resistor spark plugs are always in rhyme. In fact, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with the long wait and with the performance of Burt Lancaster, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. When I stepped off the train at Grand Central, I spotted Len Bush waiting for me. All the heat of my body sucked into my head. I knew that feeling. I felt that way every time I wanted to kill a man. He waved to me. I turned my back and I started up the ramp to the upper level in the street. He caught up to me and he kept pace with his long, shuffling lope. Don't get me wrong, Dan. I don't want to hound you. Then why begin, Lieutenant? Something you said to the warden before you left. You want to repeat on it? I told him I'd be back for the limit. 
In this town, we don't even like guys to steal apples off push carts. So when it comes to you murder... You can't touch me. I served my full time. I'm clean. We just got to sit back and wait for it to happen. Your brother died two years ago. Everybody's cooled off. Why don't you let it lay? I don't cool so easy. If Richie could come back, he'd say, forget it. Don't tell me what my brother would say. All right, all right, I won't. I don't know why I butt into other people's affairs anyway. It's not my job to worry about things before they happen. You'll be the first to know, Lieutenant. You're a jerk if you put your neck in a noose to rub out a dame like Lois Williams. So long, Dan. I waited until he was swallowed in the crowd. Then I went across and down Park until I made the Coronet Hotel on 40th Street. Dan Vettel? Oh, yes. Mr. Thompson reserved a room for you. 423. The elevator was an old cage that pulled itself upward, like an old man with asthma climbing stairs. I caught the reflection of my face in the panel mirror of the cage. Three years housekeeping with the state had left a mark. A little paler, maybe. Serene was the word for me. That's the way the reporter put it. The serene countenance of an alabaster saint showing no trace of the killer rampant under the shell. Only I hadn't killed anyone. Yet. I got out of the elevator and I found 423. Inside, I made for the bathroom. I felt under the washstand. The gun was there. Shorty Thompson had it taped neatly in place, just like he'd promised. I pried it loose. I heard someone at the door. I yanked it open. Lois Williams came in. Not exactly came in. She sort of slithered in along the wall, hung there like a busted balloon. The little rat was as beautiful as ever. The scared look in her eyes made them brighter, greener. She was wearing one of those curved gowns that she used to design for herself and was pointed up neat and tidy. She stared at the gun in my hand in a kind of a, a, kind of a glad, hungry way. Or I'd save you the trouble of coming for me. I'd have found you. But thanks anyway. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Go ahead. Kill me. Don't hurry me. Go ahead. You want me dead and I don't want to live. You want to die. That's why you came to me. There's one thing, Dan, about Richie. I didn't think he'd kill himself. You figured he'd enjoy looking at his wife and kids through bars for the next ten years, huh? I've lost every friend I had because of that. Nobody will speak to me, have anything to do with me. I can't get a job either. No club will hire me. They're all afraid of me. What do you expect? They all knew how I felt about my brother. By the way, how is Tim Grady? I'm going to look him up, too. That's a kick. I ratted on Richie to save Tim, and then he shook me loose. He didn't want anything to do with a squealer, he said. And you still love that dirty... It took him to make you miserable enough to want to die, huh? All right, so now you know. No job, no friends, no Tim. I got nothing to live for. My brother had everything to live for, and you... killed himself. That saved the postmortem till after you do the job. This was the dame who caused my brother's death. But she wasn't scared. She was begging for it. Something was wrong. She came closer to me. She looked up at me with that... that haunted thing all over. Desire for an end of life. I thought of her suddenly dead, still looking like that. I couldn't do it. It wasn't right. I put my gun back in my pocket. She saw me do it. Even when I try to get myself killed, I fumble. I'll take care of it myself. Hey, watch it, you crazy little... Come here. I'm allergic to people jumping out of windows, especially out of a room registered as my name. Come here. Why? Why did you stop me? Why? You always were a high-strung game. Now go on, go home. Go home and sleep it off like it was a jag. I don't have a home. You really don't, huh? I got nothing to told you. got nothing. No. No, it's no fun this way. Oh, well. Wait a minute. I'll stake you to a room in the hotel. Here. Here, have a drink. You'll feel better. Thanks. Lois. Lois, I'd like to help you. You help me? Why? To tell you the truth, I don't know. But I know what Richie meant to me. I was with him when he died. I, I heard the way he called your name. Oh, Dan, listen to me. Before I... you became a singer, you were, uh, you were a dress designer. Oh, what does that prove? Well, it proves your troubles are over if you want them to be. The only way my troubles will be over is for you to use that gun. There's a way that doesn't hurt so much. The nerve doc says there's nothing like starting your own business or cracking a safe to get your mind off trouble. What do you know about psychiatry? Nothing. But I know plenty about cracking safes. And I understand business is almost the same thing. Go into business. I haven't got a dime. 
I'll supply the coin. We'll be partners. Yeah? In what? The dress business. Dress business? <laughs> the boys would laugh you out of town. Nobody laughs at Dan Verrill. Well, come on. What do you say? Partners? I haven't designed a dress for you yet. Oh, it'll come back to you? Once you're in business, you're sure to make a lot of new friends. Get a new slant on life. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll talk to the old gang into giving you a break again. If things are going smooth, you'll be happy again. You think so? I looked at her a minute. And then I put across the clincher. Lois, I'll bet even Tim Grady comes back. I was always baffled by the effect a guy could have on a dame. I watched Hope push some of the unhappiness off her face. Mention the guy and the dame's heart changes places with her brain. She hesitated a second. I'll give it a try. Good. Now, do you think you can make it past bridges and open manholes, or do you need protection? I'm all right now. After all, we're partners. I raised 20 grand, and Lois went all out spending. She threw herself into the job with all she had, and she had plenty. She was going to open on Madison Avenue. I spent a lot of time with Lois talking dress shop. She took me to spots to, well, you know, to check style. The dog show, the art galleries, the opera. She was beginning to show signs of wanting to live again. A month after we became partners, she told me. Well, we can open tomorrow, Dan, except that, well, I... Let's have it, Lois. The money's all run out. And, Dan, we have to advertise and get a sale for food. What'll it take? Five thousand. Oh, three thousand. Oh, I'll get it. Oh, Dan. She kissed me. And I fought down the chill that sent along my spine. I said... I want you to be happy, Lois. I went over to the Emerald Club on 60th to raise the money. I stayed away from the old spots till now. Lou Henry, who owned the place, glad-handed me when I walked in. Hey, Dan Farrell. Where you been, boy? Oh, around and about. Yeah, you're awful early, Dan. Tables don't open until 10. I need five grand, Lou. Five grand? Without even a hello to soften me up? I need it, Lou. I figured you'd let me have it. The past favors. Oh. Sure, Dan. Don't mean no more to me than my right arm. Thanks. Be seeing you. Hey, Dan. What are you? Your brothers is out there at the bar. Shorty Thompson. Oh, thanks again. I'd like to see Shorty. Another one, bartender. Hello, Shorty. Huh? Oh, you, huh? Hey, you're in business, Dan. Something real imaginative, huh? Yeah, legitimate, too. Ladies gone. Ain't that a riot? Shorty was drunk I don't like to talk to drunks I was going to leave when I saw who the guy was on the other side of of Shorty It was Lieutenant Len Bush Shorty turned his back on me and spoke to him This guy is Richie Varrell's brother as though you didn't know A few years ago the joke was on you, Lieutenant You put Dan away for sticking up a jewelry store You didn't really believe Dan Varrell had pulled anything as crude as that It was Richie who'd done it but Big Brother here took the rap. Shut up, Shorty. Used to be sort of a gag with the boys. If Richie got shot, Danny Boy would do the bleeding for him. <laughs> everybody knew that Richie was one in a million. Everybody knew that Danny Boy would die for the kid. Yeah, I'm going to let you in on the secret, Bush. Danny Boy's partner is the dame who killed Richie Varro. You're drunk, Shorty. Get away from me, you rat. I turned back to the bar and I kept my temper in my pocket. Shorty kept talking like that, it wouldn't be healthy for him, and I didn't want to do anything to him. He was Richie's best friend. Two more of Richie's friends walked in while I was downing my drink. Gus Manning and Tommy Algo. I put my glass down and I started to leave. Just a minute, then. What's on your mind? The way I get the news, you and Lois have teamed up. Yeah? That's all I want to know, you fake. Hey, hold it, Gus, hold it. Maybe Dan's got it scrambled. Lieutenant, Lois Williams is a dame who pinned the rap on Richie, ain't she? Any newspaper morgue will give you the answer. Look, I know she testified against him. And you know she lied about your brother to save Tim Grady. I know. Well? All right. Lieutenant, the boys and I want to have a little talk. Okay, Dan, it's your funeral. We all watched Len put on his hat and walk out. I put my back up against the bar so none of them could get behind me. Well, what are we waiting for? I Dan, you okay? Yeah. What happened? Boys don't like me just now. They want to keep me from making a girl happy. Yeah, yeah, the girl responsible for your brother's death. Yeah, that's right.
Autolite is bringing you Mr. Burt Lancaster in The Long Wait, tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now it's time for my Thanksgiving fairy tale. Last night, my car called me out to the garage. Harlow, I don't feel good. I think you ought to do something about it. Well, open your hood and say, ah. Ah. Ooh, your spark plugs need replacing. I'll buy you a new set of Autolite resistor spark plugs with the exclusive Autolite 10,000-ohm built-in resistor. Gosh, Harlow, would you? That's better than turkey on Thanksgiving. Just think how I'll run. Yes, you'll start faster in cold temperatures with Autolite resistor spark plugs. Give smoother idling and better performance on leaner gas mixtures, which means you'll even save me gas. And the neighbors will be thankful because they know Autolite resistor spark plugs reduce spark plug interference with radio and television reception. I know all that, so why well, I hustled up a set of Autolite resistor spark plugs, and those eyes, I mean those Autolite bullseye headlights, lit up with joy. You're a good boss, Harlow. Now, the moral is, if you want your car to thank you for helping it run better, see your Autolite spark plug dealer and have him replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of the sensational new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage... Our star, Burt Lancaster, with Betty Lou Gerson in The Long Wait. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I sent the five grand to Lois so that she could open the doors while I went after business. And I knew where to get it. Nobody spends dough on a dame like a hood when he's loaded. On Thursday, the Third National Bank was held up. Friday morning, I, I knocked on a door on 8th Avenue. Who is it? Me, Dan Varrell. Uh, busy now, Dan. Some other time. Hello, t- hello, Tony. Oh, hello, Glenda. Hello. What do you want, Dan? You knocked over the Third National. What is this, a hijack? No. Your dame looks like she needs a lot of clothes. After last night, I figure on getting plenty of touch. What are you two talking about? I'm in the dress business, Tony. Tell the other boys, too. I want all the dames buying their clothes from Lois Williams. <laughs> sure. What do I care where they buy them? The next day, I ran into Numbers Johnson. He ran the policy racket on the east side. I don't have a dame, Dan. You know that. Yeah, I know. About time you gave your wife a break. Yeah, if I buy her clothes now, she'll expect me to every time I hit. That's the idea. Do you see it my way, or do no, I... I don't figure it. You, in the dress business. Well, if I keep happy in the dress business, I'll stay out of the numbers business. Which way do you want to play? Uh, the doll will get some new duds. Once the ball started rolling, it became a mountain. Lois knew all the angles on female frills. Her clientele was strictly 10th Avenue, but she turned them out on a Long Island, and they loved it. One dame tells another, and in no time at all, the shop is jammed with customers. It was a crime the way the dame spent the dough the hoods go to to make so much trouble to collect. Lois glowed like a firefly. She was a complete businesswoman. She loved being surrounded with dolls who bounced in and out with business of the shop, business that must have Madame's attention. I asked her during a lull. You happy, Lois? Yes, Dad. Almost completely. I do miss the old gang, though. Oh, come in. Pardon me, Miss Williams. There's a Mrs. Verrill outside. She, she wants to see Mr. Verrill. Mrs. Verrill? Oh. Richie's wife, June. She was supposed to be in the mountains with the kid. That's why I sent her money. I didn't want her to know about this. She was waiting for me on the street. She had a roll of bills in her hand, and she threw it at my feet. The roll bounced against the storefront. I saw the rubber band snap off it and the bills unwrap like a, like a sigh of relief. You think I'd take your money now? Now? Well, what do you mean? You and Lois. Okay, so it's tainted money. But you got a kid, you need it. You thought a lot of Richie, didn't you? As much as you did. Oh, no, much more. When Richie had pneumonia, I remember how hard you took it. During the crisis, you wouldn't eat or drink or talk. I remember thinking if Richie dies, Dan will die too. Take the money for the kid. You loved Richie. And now you're sponsoring that woman with his blood. Uh, June, wait. I'll kill you both. Nobody was going to keep me from doing what I wanted. Not Lynn Bush following me around, or Shorty Thompson hating my guts, or Richie's wife itching to kill me. I'd given Lois back an urge to live. I swore I was going to make her happy, and I was on first base. She had a going business. 
Lois's old gang hung out in the village, the bolo room. Richie, Lois, and Tim Grady used to pal around with the musicians who played the spot. They used to wait until closing time, and then huddle with the jive artists until morning. When Lois and Tim double-crossed Richie, the, the other kids cut Lois out of their hair, and Tim Grady left town. That night, I went down to the bowler room to get Lois's friends back for her. I walked in just as the last paying customers left. The kids were getting set for a jam session when they spotted me. The place became full of hush. They glared at me, hating me, for not daring to open their mouths. I picked a menu up off the table and I laid it on the bar. I pulled a pencil out of my pocket. I said, I'm giving a party for Lois Williams. You're all invited. Saturday night, gold room, Carnet Hotel. Whitey Jones? Yeah? I'm putting you down, plus your name and three guests. Suppose I can't make it. <laughs> throw away your piano. You'll never play it with broken hands. Phil Blass? You, your dame, and three friends. And your horn. Well? Okay, yeah, sure, Danny, sure. Jerry Barton? Mel Foley? What? Joe Ward? Les Seltzer. Your dames and three friends. Okay. okay. And make sure that Lois knows that you're all tickled to death to see her. I'll be checking you off as you come in. I'll be seeing you at Saturday night. It was Friday, the day before the party. Hello? Hello, Dan. Yeah? This is Lou Henry, down at the Emerald Club. Yeah. Look, I don't want you to think I'm butting into your affairs, Dan, but well, knowing how you feel about Lois. Yeah? Well, June, your brother's wife's been down here talking to Shorty Thompson. So what? She talked Shorty into rubbing out Lois. What? He's on his way now. Remember who told you, Dan? I dialed my body caught on the fire. If Shorty touched Lois now, being a buddy of Richie's wouldn't help him. The same went for June. Give me Miss Williams. I'll connect you with her office. Come on, snap it up, snap it up. I'm ringing, sir. Come on, Lois, answer, come on. Miss Williams' office. Put Lois on. She's not in. Who's calling? It's me, Dan Varrell. Where'd she go? Mr. Varrell? You just called, Mr. Varrell. What do you mean, I just called? Well, someone called, said it was you, and spoke to Miss Williams. I wonder why they do that. Well, never mind that. What did, you, what did he say? Miss Williams always goes to the Museum of Art at this time of day to copy designs. She made an appointment to meet you. I, I mean, the man who called at the museum. She just left. I didn't wait for the elevator. I took the stairs three at a time going down. I came out on the street. A cab was idling on the other side of the avenue. I cut through the traffic to get to it. I hopped into the cab, and for five bucks, the hacky crash lights all the way. I was at the museum in nothing flat. The length of the building was quiet as a mall. I cursed myself for not asking what room Lois would be in. Here, here, you can't run here. Uh, did you see a girl with, a, with drawing papers and crayons, tall, beautiful, well-stacked? I see hundreds of them. Well, where would she go to, to draw designs? Well, the armor room, maybe, the Egyptian room, or the famous paintings. Second floor. I had visions of a dead in some corner. I thought of her all twisted in the heat. I hit the Egyptian room on a run, and I stopped short. Lois was standing at the other end. She was behind a mummy case. And on the other side of it was Shorty. He had a knife in his hand. They didn't see me. I sneaked up on them, and I watched Lois fighting to move her lips. You ain't fit to live. Please, she was in on it. In case you don't know who she is, she's my sister-in-law. With June and Shorty out of the way for a while, nothing was going to upset things now. The party Saturday night in the gold room was a big success. Every time somebody tried to make a break for home, I, I beat them to the exit and insisted they stay. The place was full of smiles and how to do And only Lois didn't know they were phony. She was a dream in a green, backless evening gown. Held up by a deep breath and an anxious look. She bubbled around, greeting people. Hey, thank you. I enjoyed it. Lois. Dan, where have you been hiding? No place. Tell me, Lois. You happy? Dan. Just be happy. That's all I ask. Just be happy. I'm doing my best, Dan. Is there any guy here you like? Anybody? Uh, there's just one guy for me, Dan. He's not here. But he is. He's back what? in town. He's at the Sphinx Hotel. Tim. Yeah. Lois, I think I'll drop over and see him now. Dan, you're not going to do anything? Don't worry, Lois. I'm going to fix everything. <laughs> 
she had her job, her friends. Just one thing more. Just Tim Grady to make the picture complete. The Sphinx Hotel was over on 6th Avenue. I walked. I wanted time to cool off. I wanted to do things right. Yes? Mr. Grady's room? One moment, please. This is Dan Varrell. Dan? Yeah, remember? It's 3 a.m., Dan. I won't take much of your time. Won't tomorrow do? I'm coming up now. Come in. I pushed open the door and I went in. I was standing by the bed. He was wearing a monogram black robe over some fleshy yellow pajamas. He glad-handed me. Come in, Dan. Come on in. Have a cigarette? I took one and I watched him going through hard times trying to light it for me. I let him sweat for a while and then pulled out my lighter, lit my cigarette and shoved the lighter under his face so I could light his. I couldn't stand still. He moved around the room like a, like a cat on hot coals. He was a big, good-looking chick, broad shoulders with all the trimming, curly hair, dimple on his chin. I just got back, out on the coast. That's the place to be, Dan. You never saw anything like it. Boy, the things that go on in L.A. <laughs> Someday... Light someplace. And you say, Dan... Lois is a great dame. She sure is, Dan. She sure is. Anybody says different should get slugged. Yeah. Listen, Dan, there never was anything between me and Lois. Anybody says different's a no good liar. We were just good friends. We hardly ever even went Relax. Out. Here, you and Lois are partners. Yeah. She must be pretty near the happiest girl in town. Pretty near. Huh? You know, when I first saw Lois a few months ago, she was all set to kill us. Oh, wait a minute, Dan. I tell you, I... Sit down, Tim. You make me nervous. Nobody's blaming you for the way she felt. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow I pull out of the partnership, and Lois will be alone again. I don't want her to be alone. It's not good for her. Anything I can do, you know. She's in love with you. I'd like to see her get married. A woman with, with $75,000 business, well, she needs someone to look after her interests. The mention of the 75 grand, his eyes lit up like Broadway after dark. Reading his mind was like looking through a dirty window into a filthy room. It hurt to think a foul ball like Tim Grady could make a girl do anything for him. Well, Dan... It's about time she got a proposal for marriage. Yeah. Why don't you call her up, Tim? Yeah. A good idea, Dan. I mean, right now. Stuyvesant, 1541. Now? Well, sure, sure, if you think... <laughs> I won't know what to say. It's been so long. Say you want to marry her. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Lois? Hello, baby. Well, well, so you knew the old voice. I closed the door. I didn't know if I'd be able to control myself if I'd listen to anymore. I got to the dress shop at 10 o'clock the next morning. Lois was floating around like a... like a waft of loveliness. She touched the inkstand on her desk, moved a chair, straightened a picture. Wasn't conscious of what she was doing. She talked fast and happy about things that didn't mean a thing. She flung open a window and hugged the inrush of air. She spoke with her back to me. Oh, Dan, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Isn't life beautiful? You're happy, huh, Lois? Tim was waiting when I got here this morning. He proposed. He said you wanted it that way, too. I guess I'm the happiest woman in the world. <laughs> Can I use your phone? Sure. Sure. Call Paris, Bombay, Shanghai. <laughs> Imagine it. Tim. I'm assigned Lieutenant Bush. Dan Verrill talking. I'm at Lois's shop. If you get here in five minutes, it'll be about right. Yes, Dan, I'm the happiest woman in the world, and I owe it all to you. She turned from the window and saw the gun in my hand. <gasps> now you're worth killing! Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Burt Lancaster, with Betty Lou Gerson. Oh, boy, am I happy. Thanks again, Harlow. That's my car talking, folks. I ran great today, didn't I? With those new Autolite resistor spark plugs. Like a charm. Friends, if you want your car to run better, switch to White Gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. The spark plugs that get you off to fast starts in cold temperatures. Made by Autolite, they're one of more than 400 products for cars, trucks, planes, and boats produced in 28 Autolite plants coast to coast. 
These include complete electrical systems used as original equipment on many makes of America's finest cars. Spark plugs, batteries, generators, coils, distributors, starting motors, bullseye sealed beam headlight units. All engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. Don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and get Autolite, original factory parts, at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. Next Thursday for Suspense, James Stewart will be our star. The play is called Mission Completed. And it is, as we say... A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense! Tonight's Suspense play was produced and edited by William Spear and directed by Norman MacDonald. Music for Suspense is composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Long Wait is an original play by Fred Freeberger. Bert Lancaster is the star of The Hawk and the Arrow, a Norma F.R. production soon to be released by Warner Brothers. In the coming weeks, you will hear such stars as Mickey Rooney, Lana Turner, and Eddie Cantor. Don't forget, next Thursday, same time, Autolite will present Suspense, starring James Stewart. Meanwhile, see the very informative story about Suspense in the current issue of Quick Magazine. Autolite Safeful Batteries, Autolite Electrical Parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. Freedom is everybody's job. Take an active part in national, state, and community affairs to protect your liberty. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Long Wait from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that is, well, how do we put this? Uh, put it into words first, Joshua. It's a Patreon pick uh, bonus <laughs> thingy. That works for me. Okay. I'm just seeing what words come out of Eric's mouth. Here's, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, some people paid some money and uh, their bonus was to come in and do a show with us. Not really a prize or anything nice uh they have to sit here and listen to this but our our winner uh brent is with us yes i am a winner you're a winner brent is part of uh, our uh, our highest tier highest tier prestige elite wow nice I, i'm not only a member i'm a client <laughs> uh, so before we dive into this and what we think of it tell us why you brought this to us and why you like it or maybe you don't like it i enjoyed it i, I liked it a lot and having listened to you guys, uh, and I've gotten into uh, suspense in general. I mean, there's 900 episodes. Right. Uh, and I remember during one of the episodes, uh, Eric had mentioned that you sometimes have a hard time staying awake. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll actually listen to them at night, and I, I will. A lot of times I won't make it through. But then, right. then during the day I'm driving or something, I'll have to go back and say, okay, how did that one end? Right, right. Um, but I found that they're all great. I mean, it's really hard to pick just one suspense episode. There's 900 of them. And you could tell from the beginning they're just kind of finding their way. And then towards the, the two and three hundreds, they really hit their stride. And I, mean, the, I think the one before this, or the one after this one was The Sisters. The one before this one was uh, The Red-Headed Woman with uh, Lucille Ball. And, you know, so anyway, they're, they're all really good. But and you what... have the show orders memorized. That's impressive. Yeah. Right? <laughs> wow. Well, I have to look it back up. And I, I know, specifically, Eric, you like the, the fast-talking, uh, <laughs> you know, noir-type yeah. episodes. And this was one of them. It kept me on edge. Or not edge, but I was like, well, what's going on here? What's up with this Burt Lancaster character? What, does he love her? What, you know, and then at the very end, he turns from the sugary, you know, hey, are you happy? Do you, are you, you know, to all of a sudden, now you're good enough to kill. You know, like it, it really, it was just startling to me. Like just the tone throughout the whole entire thing was that fast paced. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Hey, do you like this? Are you happy? You know, and then all of a sudden, bam, at the last second, it's done. And then... <laughs> You know, it's pretty graphic when you think about it. I mean, here's some oh, guy yeah. just, I'm going to kill you right now. Ah! And then right after that, so hap. Uh, you know, you know, it, turned into, it turned into this happy sort of, that just happened, and now we're going to talk about Autolite or whatever it was. I think yeah, it was Autolite, Autolite, this one. It wasn't the Roma I do wonder line. if, as a result of suspense, that people 
developed a, an inexplicable sense of unease about their spark plugs. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so they have to take the car in, they just feel nervous and. Uh, I will do a reenactment of my brain listening to this. Kind of went like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> and that's when Harlow's car talked. Right. right. <laughs> wow! It's a talking car. Yeah, that, we were going to talk about the talking car. <laughs> yeah. talking I don't know what car. was more creepier with some yeah. of the yeah. other. It's yes. an odd choice for a voice. Yeah, yeah it was really <laughs> weird. So, Fill me with gas, Harlow. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> uh, as I was listening to it, it was very much wow, this is really film noir. So I was enjoying it and saying, yeah, yeah, you know, it's noirish, yeah. And I had no idea what was coming because it was a Thanksgiving episode. I thought yeah. it was, okay, so Brent gave us one where this guy just turns a corner and saves the woman that he was going to kill and we're all supposed to go home and feel good and have some turkey and mashed potatoes. And when he says, now you're happy, now I can kill you, I screamed. Now you're worth killing. Now you're worth yeah. killing. I screamed and went, no way. Like yeah. really, and it caught me. See, Sixth Sense caught me off guard. Usual suspect caught me. I did not see it coming. Yeah. And I was, no, I, and at that moment is when I wrote, wow, I really love this episode. And up until that point, I was, yeah, just, it was all right. It's all right. Yeah, I get it. You know, he's doing the right do thing. you guys think? You're supposed to not see that coming. I don't know. I'm guessing it helps to be me and a little on the dumb side. And No, uh, I don't mean it like that. No, I'm wondering I mean, where I the don't... suspense lands. I felt that that's where they were going, and the suspense for me was, are they really going to do that? So you saw it coming. I, yeah. I saw it coming, and I think I might not have, except for the title of it. Hmm. Right, the long wait. I thought it was a long wait while he was in prison, waiting to get out to kill Rose. Initially, <laughs> but then it just became yeah. this shaggy dog story to me. Which is not to say I didn't enjoy it. I right. really liked it, but I did see it coming. And then you guys missed how fun it was to be caught off guard. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's still shocking. Yeah. And because it is so abrupt and brutal. Right. And I think I was on the fence until he sets her up with Tim, Tim. Grady. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, this is too perfect. Yeah, it's too um, dead. So I think they're trying to hide it for most of the episode, mm-hmm. that that's where yeah. it's going. And, well, and there's there's a couple of things in there that, a couple of little, little red herrings that when she kisses him. And he's like, she kissed me. Yeah, you know, and, and you're thinking chill so, down his spine. Yeah, you so don't I'm thinking, know. wait, does does that mean that he's kind that of digs her? Or yeah. <laughs> that know? was where I went um, with it. I went, oh, this is a turning into a love story. And when the brother's wife plots to kill her, and he prevents that from happening, that was another mm-hmm. red herring that kind of got you off the scent. Well, of... particularly when he turns her in, because this is the wife of his cherished dead mm-hmm. brother. Yeah. So when he turns her in for it. I think there is a question mark, like, what is he doing? But right. he, he says at one point, no one is going to stop me from doing what I want to do. And that, right. again, suggested to me, like, he will murder or turn anyone over to the cops or whatever to kill this woman at the height of her happiness in life. And because there's beats where he is admiring how she appears. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily tell you, you can read it later, that he is... Just making note of like, ah, oh, she makes dresses, I can use that against her. Right. But it's so kind of focused and personal on him, and he never shows his cards to the audience, mm-hmm. which to me was the tell. If he was having feelings for her, he would have said something about his actual feelings for her. See, and I took that as the reason he's not is because of the awkward past and being careful, do you know? Like, oh, yeah. he's just yeah. being careful with this situation and wasn't ready to fall in love. And at the end, I thought for sure it was going to be, look, I know Tim's on his way over here and everything, but <laughs> it turns out I love you. And I thought that was going to be the end of this thing is that he mm-hmm. falls in love with this woman that, you know, he was trying to kill. And to me, that would have been enough of a story. That's a great feel-good Thanksgiving Day story. <laughs> so it really We had different Thanksgivings, it, man. <laughs> it, another thing in, in retrospect on and picking this one, I mean, the thing about suspense, they constantly repeat this. It's perfectly calculated to keep you in suspense <laughs> up until the last minute. And literally it did that. Just from the sense of, you know, does he love her? Is he going to kill her? Mm-hmm. It was the perfect use of the suspense formula, I thought. I agree. I think it works if you're surprised by the ending or if you the entire time are going, 
is he gonna do that? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. And even if you knew that he was okay, he's setting her up. He's gonna still do it. He was so sweet talking, and you could see the smile in the tone of his voice. I mean, that's one of the Burt Lancaster's things that, that he's got that big smile, those big teeth. Yeah, on, on that Burt Lancaster is so awesome. He's that was so good. Just a I will delight say, to listen to this. I will say I didn't see Burt Lancaster. Oh wow! I mean, I didn't oh, okay. see him because it was such a good performance. I thought, right. and I had to remind myself at the end. So I didn't see his face at all, which I right. thought was a blessing. I didn't. I don't want to see Burt <laughs> Lancaster in yeah. this role for those reasons you were just saying, Brent, with the big smile and how the smarm that he comes, the good kind of smarm that he right, comes yeah. with. So yeah, I thought it was a really nice performance. I was really struck too, um, in that realm of like, I think I know where this is going, but like you were saying, how far he'll go to do it and how much he can just say you and your wife or your girlfriend and three guests are coming to this party yeah. and it's happening. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's and like, okay. doesn't have to exude that much sinister to make it happen, which is mm. impressive. <laughs> right. I've thrown parties like that and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine if we could do that for our shows. No. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody yeah. just had a look of sigh on their face. Yeah. No, I was yeah. starting to think about how that would work. Seriously. Yeah. Oh. Scrambling to put together cheese and cracker plates. No. Right. We a need protection to... racket. We need... Right. You're going to be there with smiles on your faces. Um, speaking of the noir aspect of this, there were some really well-written noir lines. The place became a room full of hush. Is yeah. one of my uh, top three lines of, of the whole thing. Anybody else come across any lines that they had written down or remember? Uh, it's not so much noir as over the top. I think he's poking fun at journalists because he's quoting the newspaper story about him at the top when he's uh, looking at himself in the mirror. And he says, mm-hmm. the serene countenance of an alabaster saint showing no trace of the killer rampant under the shell. <laughs> nice. Uh, when she opens the window and hugs the air. I thought it was a very beautiful line. Or just some of the descriptions of her when she's desperate to die seem really like Noir and Mm -hmm. Mickey Spillane uh, when he says uh, she looked at the gun in my hand in a kind of glad, hungry way. Right. It's that less than attractive side of the Noir thing where they turn like murder into something sexual. Right. Yes. (laughs) I'm allergic to people jumping out of windows. Oh, yeah. I'm allergic to to women trying to jump out windows. That's a great line. Yeah. (laughs) Again, the crux of this conversation is about does it catch you off guard or doesn't it? To be honest with you, and I, I think the key to this one for me was the old half listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to take a pause here. Someone's got a fire for me to put out some email, you know. And then, all right, then you're admitting to one of our supporters that you only half listen to stuff <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah, specifically the episode he asked you to listen to. Yeah, all right, it's all right. Did but you, you know that. Did you stay awake for the whole thing? <laughs> Brent, when did you get here? <laughs> it was really, really phenomenal to be caught off guard. I do totally think if it had a different title, which I was yeah. interested to see that it was retitled it later, I wouldn't have known. The title uh, the that they did for Hitchcock Presents Salvage is a weird title. Yeah, I don't understand I it, don't but understand. It, it would have fooled me. <laughs> right. yeah. You should have named it like Ice Cream Truck. You know? <laughs> I, I think, too, the just the kind of the rhythm of it and just the stark contrast of easygoing, happy smile, you know, everything's going according to my plan, and she's happy, and and then all of a sudden, the ah, right. you know, that got me. And, and he goes out of his way to say he's not a killer, or he hasn't killed yet. yet. So yeah. I do think they're trying to make you hope that he's going to turn around. Yeah. And suspense, more times than not, has protagonists you can root for. Yeah. And here's what's interesting is they make you root for him or fear rooting for him as the case may be um, all the way to the end and then I think because the end is so brutal that's the way they get away with it because they cut away you don't have to spend any more time with him that's it you don't have to address your feelings about him at that point it's over time's up time's up I was really talking car here we go (laughs) in that he called the police on himself Mm -hmm. in Uh, a sense of uh, of either justice and or this sort of apocalyptic act. I mean, this is the one thing I'm going to do, and then my life is done. The cop, when he first gets off the train, it's the cop that greets him and says, hey, we don't want any trouble. And he and he said to him, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> and that's the phone call he makes. He makes it to that cop and says, be here in about yeah. a minute. <laughs> and the cop was there because uh, he told the warden that he'd be back. You know, he's right. had this yeah. plan from the get-go. Yeah. 
Do you think that he knew she was unhappy? Or did that plan come into his head I as soon as he saw how unhappy she was? I don't think so, because he had Shorty leave him a gun. Yeah. Right. No, he was going to do it right then Right away. But I don't think he was anticipating she'd come to him. So that's some quick thinking for a plan that big. You know, like, well, uh, he had time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently a lot of power. Yeah. In that bar scene with Shorty, too, he just tells the cop to step out so he can have this conversation. And the cop's like, okay. <laughs> and just fights them all. So. <laughs> You just told us uh, before we started recording that this actually aired on Thanksgiving. Uh, November 24th. I'm not that sure if that was the exact Thanksgiving day of 49, but that's what the date was. Yeah, really um, close to and, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, if it's not, it's really close. And the first auto light thing has some kind of... Oh, uh, that's right. It over is. the river and through the yeah. woods. Uh, hey, those last lines don't rhyme. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we, no, they don't. The writers Ugh. gave up on this long before I did. <laughs> I also like what you brought to us in the beginning, Joshua, mm-hmm. about Fred Freeberger. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I just started watching Space 1999. I didn't really know of it. And my jury is still out, man. I'm through like nine <laughs> episodes. Like, it's great. Uh, maybe it's not great. I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I like this or not. Am I allowed to like this? <laughs> when Josh said, yeah, we're going to do something about the, the author, of the long wait, I, I looked that up, and then all of a sudden, it's all these things from my childhood, like uh, you know, the six million dollar man and those uh, the Saturday morning ABC things, and you know, the, all of the stuff that he had his hands yeah. in, and it all started when he was younger doing the stuff like this. So you can make a six degrees of separation from suspense to Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> it's a one. There's no separation. <laughs> you know, they're neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love it. that he was a story editor on Super Friends, though. Like they, right? Yeah. This was the spec script that he sent them. <laughs> Here's my take on Batman, essentially. <laughs> now actually... Toy Man's worth killing. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts, gentlemen, on this episode? I just never want to hear Harlow's car talk again. No. <laughs> right? God, that is... I only think it happens maybe on a couple of other episodes. Okay. Maybe. His car uh, obviously has a smoking problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I, you know, I just want to thank you guys for having this program in general. It's super cool. It's great to delve into the past in a way that's relevant to now, mm. uh, even if it's not. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, even when the times are, are not, it's a part of our culture now, you know, in ways that we don't even realize just by the simple, when you peel back mm-hmm. the layers of the onions, you real you realize that uh, a lot of these people had a huge effect on popular culture in the 60s and 70s. And then... In turn, that's had a lot of impact on our culture now. Unless you're a millennium. That's another story. But uh, but thanks, guys. We've got some really young people listening to this podcast, too. So it is not all just old people like Eric. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Um, (laughs) I wanted to say about what he was saying, though, is that I think it's also very interesting as you delve back into these old-time radio shows, not only the impact it has culturally and what we may owe to it, but how... Things have not changed, I find interesting. Yeah. How much is still similar in our hopes and fears and in our storytelling and in our processes that there is so much that is really not changed and, and no more more vivid than in War of the Worlds and when we delved into that one and yeah. the, the whole fake news aspect and all of that. So I find that interesting too, like the more things change... I, I'm going to write that down. The more they change, things, the more the things. The more they're like old-time radio. The more like old-time radio, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's you've, a t-shirt right there. You've been being nice to me because you're going to kill me? Is that <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? I didn't, I didn't follow that. It's a reference to the long wait. Yeah. You oh. fell asleep during it. <laughs> yeah. See, at the end, yeah. he kills her. What? 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 <laughs> Oh. Okay. Uh, Ruben Kincaid's their manager? <laughs> Sorry. Well, now we lost funny. the six oh. millennials who are listening yeah. to it. That was funny to me. All right, let's go to our final vote. Uh, I'll start this time. I find it beautiful. I find it to be a classic. I thought the setup was fantastic. I like how it was written, performed, directed, and I love the twist, and it got me. So I don't have one complaint about it. And thanks for bringing this to my attention. First time I heard it. Joshua? I think it stands the test of time. I wouldn't call it a classic mainly because it's up against so many suspense classics. It's not really fair to be a suspense episode. Mm. <laughs> right. If it was but, 
X minus one, it would have been a classic. Okay, don't even start. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it really stands the test of time, though, as in it is this very dark anti-hero. And you don't even realize it until the end that he's an anti-hero. I think I would call it a classic. It is is a... uh great example of suspense just as a if you needed to give somebody one episode of suspense this would be a really exemplary episode to give them it's a great example of noir it's got a great performance if i had one quibble i'd say change the name he doesn't kill her at the end yes (laughs) i would have never seen it coming Uh, there are actually better episodes of suspense but the biggest reason why i chose this was to get the reaction from eric that i got so so i was just sitting there thinking while i was listening to man i wonder what eric thinks about this just from the pow ending well i got and Slam dunk. <laughs> so, uh, and Way to go, yeah, Fred Freeburger. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a classic that stands the test of time. Just from that s- simple, perfect example of noir. And um, I'm super glad and happy to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Tim, tell them things. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll find different ways to get a hold of us, uh, either through links to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. There's a contact page. You can comment on episodes. There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. There's also information about our live shows there, because we do live shows sometimes. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and become a supporter like Brant uh, and just... Thank you again, Brent, for the support of the podcast, for seeing our live shows, for being here with us. That was awesome. And you can also write a review if you want to help in a different way, too, on iTunes. That helps a lot as well. A little more plug than normal because uh, Brent and us will all be performing together. So if you're in the Minneapolis area and you're looking for something phenomenal to do on New Year's Eve of 2018, right? (laughs) Just in case, because this will be out there, what, forever? Because that's how the internet works. Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is going to be performing at the caves, the Wabasha Street Caves in St. Paul for Bash Cancer Bash. It's a fundraiser. And we're going to be performing an episode of The Shadow that aired on New Year's Eve in 19... Do you remember the year? I don't. It's okay. It's, it's a, 39, I think. 39, yeah. So we're going to be doing that with a lot of other entertainment going on, including Brent is going to be part of this entertainment package because here's the big reveal. Da-da-da! Brent is, uh, stage name is Vic Valari in the Valari Lounge Orchestra. I'm a lounge singer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... So come and see us. We'll that's, all be performing That's my that alter night. ego. This is the... I'll be honest. I've known you for a while. Those are two different guys, man. <laughs> no, it's true. Dare Just... say local icon. Yeah. I don't know how to tell you guys this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next... We I... have... An episode of Escape called A Study in Wax. Until then, look out! That's better than turkey on Thanksgiving.